Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm Laura Mai, pediatric speech and pathologist, and it is a gorgeous day in beautiful Shelbyville, Kentucky, and I hope it's equally as fantastic a day where you are listening from, too. Um, today's date is August 5th, 2013, and today's show is an extension from um, a couple of shows ago, and this is the second part of Making Books Better. Now, I am completely dedicated to getting through this entire topic today, (laughs) so I'm not going to be taking any callers, so if you're waiting to call in, please hold your thought, hold that call for another day, and actually, I love to pre-plan our callers so that I can be completely prepared with a cohesive answer to whatever question you may have. So just shoot me an email at laura at teachmetotalk.com, and I will be so happy to answer your questions and then more importantly get you booked on the show and have a really, again, complete <laughs> answer for whatever um, question you might have or give you some ideas for things. Let's talk about, before we get started with today's topic, though, some upcoming shows. Next week I'm so excited to have Heidi Kay who is from pediastaff.com, and she's going to be talking with us about using social media for continuing education and professional development opportunities. And we talked about this a little bit on the show before, and I love Facebook, and I'm on, I do Twitter occasionally, (laughs) but Heidi Kay is going to talk about all of the great resources that are out there. So even if you are a newbie and are a little bit intimidated by all that social media stuff, Heidi Kay will give us some great um, pointers in how to get started. And for those of you who are not new with this, maybe she'll introduce you to some new resources too. And again, these are my very favorite ways now to get new information, to find journal articles that I never would have read about otherwise. So I hope next week we'll be able to uh, get everybody tuned into that as well. The week after that, we have all this Kimberly Scanlon, who has written a fabulous book for parents and therapists as well, and it's called, if I can pull it out from this pile on my desk, it's called My Toddler Talks, Strategies and Activities to Promote Your Child's Language Development. And it is a darling, darling, darling book, and I can't wait to talk to Kimberly about that. And again, she's coming up in two weeks. The week after that, <coughs> excuse me, we'll have a great mom on who has some questions for her little guy. And she's in a a unique situation. He's a little boy that was extremely premature, but he's not delayed enough to get services through her state early intervention program, and that is extremely frustrating to this mom. But she is taking the bull by the horn, so to speak, and working with him at home, and she has some really specific questions for him and about him and for more activities. So we're going to be doing that as well. And then we have a whole slew of people on for October, and I'm not even going to get into that. I want you excited about September <laughs> and the shows that are, I'm sorry, excited about August, and then we'll get to those September shows as we go. All right, well, let's pick up where we left off last time with making books better for toddlers with language delays. And if you haven't listened to that show, I want to encourage you to stop right now and listen to that show first. 
so that you can make sure that you are caught up to all of the things we talked about in that show. I spent a lot of time with the developmental milestones as they relate to using books, those specific early literacy milestones, in addition to the cognitive skills and the fine motor skills and the language skills. And remember, all of these things work together. We we sometimes as speech language pathologists or other early interventionist, we'll see a child who only has one area of delay. But so many times, many of the children that we see in service have delays across the board. They may be more um, behind with their language skills, but if we really isolate the other developmental domains, they may have some red flags in those areas as well. So if you haven't listened to that show, go back, listen to show number 199 first, and then join us back here for show 201. Now let's pick up with activity number five. And, and the first show I got through the first four activities, and these this is a 10-activity series. I hope that I eventually will turn it into a therapy guide, but I wanted to go ahead and share the information because I think these are fabulous ideas. And so, again, <coughs> excuse me, as we talk about these things, remember that usually the activities are sequential and they build on one another. So if the things that we're talking about today seem too difficult for your own child, if you're a mom or a dad, or for a child that you're working with, if you're a therapist, back it on up and start with those other activities. And as I always say in my live conferences, there is no shame in backing up. So even if you realize, as I'm talking about these activities today and talking about the skill set a child would need to have before he's able to master the, the kinds of things that we're talking about with these um, activities, you know, if you realize, oh, my goodness, no wonder my child is not doing this yet because he hasn't done those previous activities. This could be your aha moment where you say, I've got to back up. I've got to fill in those little gaps. I've got to bring this child up to the level where he can be successful. And, again, this is the, the concept that I, I talk about all the time on this show, which is meeting a child where he is. And so is your goal for a child who maybe doesn't even really enjoy books has been name pictures in a book, they're they have to come first. And if he's not yet pointing at pictures receptively, no way is he ready to name pictures in a book. If he's not yet really even able to um, turn pages yet or attend to the pictures or be at least a little bit into what you're doing, no way is he ready to name the pictures. So, again, Keep that in mind as we're going through these activities. Remember, they build one upon another. And if you're at the point where you're working with a child and the activity is successful, back up. Go back to those previous activities. Meet child where he is, where he can be successful, and then introduce the next activity over the next several weeks so that you give him lots of practice and lots of success before you jump ahead to a, le a level that he's not quite ready for. Okay, activity number five is identifying familiar pictures on request. Now, this activity is a natural extension to the previous activity that we finished up on the last show, and that was 
being able to um, isolate an index finger well enough to point for awareness, just meaning that you're not necessarily asking the child yet, where's the cat, where's the ball, show me the car, but that the child is just using his finger or his hand or some way, some gesture with his little arm and fingers there to let you know, hey, I'm I'm using this gesture to show you, to communicate with you that I like this picture and I want you to know I like this picture. And, I, again, it's just an awareness thing. It's not really um, beyond that yet. So that was activity number four. And so this activity is that step up where we actually start to ask a child, Show me the ball. Show me the shoe. Where's the cookie? So, again, it's that very beginning of um, measuring what a child understands or his receptive language skills with pictures. Now, some assessment tools have this skill listed as early as 12 to 15 months developmentally. Other tools that I've looked at use uh, the age range of 15 to 18 months. And others say, other tests that we might use may not include this until a child is 24 months. So lots of variability in when this skill should emerge in toddlers. So I wanted to point that out. Regardless, learning to identify pictures is the most widely used method that we have of evaluating what a child understands. And so, so often when you take your class to a speech-language pathologist, that's one of the things we'll be doing during that evaluation process is using a test manual and asking your child to specifically find or point to or show me or whatever the verb is so that we, with pictures, so that we know what a child understands. So when this skill is not emerging, we have to be able to work on this, and we need some strategies that can facilitate the earliest attempts. And what we want to do, again, is use pictures that are really familiar and highly enticing. What do I mean by that? I mean that a child likes it, <laughs> that he wants to look at the book, that he pays attention, that it's meaningful for him, that he starts to get it. And by get it, I mean understand comprehend those little pictures that he's seeing. So this activity with identifying familiar pictures is a lot more focused than the ones that we discussed in the previous show. And it's really best for children who already like books and for children who already have a little longer attention span. And again, this is a more traditional way to use the book. The ideas that we talked about back on back in show number 199, might have been new for you. And they may have been ways that you had not thought about using um, a book for in your therapy activities or working with your own child at home. But this is one that we're a little more familiar with um, as moms. So in this one, again, our main focus here is to target receptive language or language comprehension uh, with object identification and most often by pointing. Now, some people, even though this is a traditional use for books, do kind of skip this step. I've worked with parents before who have only seemed to know how to use a book for having their child name the picture. 
So what they'll do if they're sitting reading together and looking at the book, they'll immediately start in with something like, what's that? What's this? Tell me this one. Tell me that. Oh, you know the name of that. Say it. Say it. Before they've even thought about, does my child understand what these words really, really mean? So kids must, must, must learn to point to pictures respectively before they can identify a picture explicitly. Now, if you're not a speech pathologist, you may be saying, you know, break that down for me. I'm not quite sure what you mean. A child has to let you know that he understands the word or he understands the picture before he's ever going to be able to say the picture's name. And if you've never thought about that before, I want you to just take a minute and think about that. A child has to understand words before we ever expect him to be able to say words. And that, that holds true even when we're using an activity like a book. So we need to be sure that we are this with children first before we start in with, tell me this, say this, what's that? Kids who haven't had lots of practice with this kind of activity, I start here with books and therapy. Again, on on the previous show when I talked about this topic, I talked about how we should really use books with photographs or pictures of real objects rather than cartoon-like drawings or anything that's a little more abstract because this is more concrete and it's more real life and hopefully familiar and it will make sense. So we want to still stick with our picture book at this point. And what I like to do with, with this kind of activity too when we're starting is not immediately open the book and say, you know, where's the shoe? Or show me the tree? Or where's the, the horse? I, I want to start just by labeling the pictures and actually teaching the words first before I expect a child to to that. So how do you do this? How does this look? Well, this is really um, a great one activity to do with a child. And you'll do this just by flipping through the book together. And you as the adult will be labeling the picture and saying something really, really simple. And so, again, I like to use those happy baby books or first word books and it, that, that's by a company called Bright Baby, and you can find those on Amazon more often than not. I've bought books like that at, at Walmart or Target, <coughs> excuse me, anywhere that, that will sell a baby or other books. And so when you're looking at these pictures together, always, always point to the picture that you are talking about because you are directing the child's attention and you're modeling what you want the child to eventually do on his own. So if you have picked a book, and again, for a child that this is a new activity for, I like books with just one picture per page. So if you're sitting with the child and you open the book, there's just a choice of two right there, and you will point to the first picture and say something. You know, if it's a picture of shoes, you'll say, shoes, look, shoes, shoes go on your feet, there's shoes. And I might point to the child's shoe or my own shoe as a way to help him link that thing 
But again, I'm pointing back at the picture and I'm making sure that I say the target word over and over and over. Repetition is so important here. And you do want to give a little explanation of perhaps the function of the picture or a little definition so that you're teaching what that really means. But again, don't get so lost in your explanation that the child doesn't hear the word that you're going for. So I try to uh, use Dr. Caroline Bowen's recasting strategy here where I'm saying the target word over and over and over again. And we'll talk a little bit about some other names for this kind of it, It's huge uh, for a child to be able to hear what you are trying to teach them again and again. And so then I'm going to move on if I feel like I've lost the child's attention. And, this, and you know, talking about the shoes or the first picture, it may only last for, oh, 10 or 15 seconds. And if you notice the child is moving, I'm going to have to move on with him. And you'll do the same thing with the next picture. If the next picture is a car, you'll point to the picture and say, car, look, beep, beep, car, go bye-bye in the car. There's car. And again, you are taking your own finger and pointing to the car. And sometimes if I feel like a child is really ready for this, particularly if I've worked him up to this point and I know that he can use his little finger to point or place his hand on the book, I'll just take my hand and provide some physical assistance to help him point to that picture too. And again, we're using this as a teaching opportunity, and we may get through the entire book, or a child might only be able to tolerate four pictures before he's ready to get up and move on. And if you've listened to the show before, you'll know that I read a child's signals, and if he's finished with that book, I might try to get him to do one more picture, but that's it. I'm not going to have him sit there and cry and complain and go into a full-blown tantrum because he's ready to move on and I'm not. I'm always going to meet him where he is. And so if his attention span is just long enough for two or three pictures, that's okay. And we'll get there. We'll get to the point where he can look at more pictures in one sitting. I'll give you some more ideas for that at sort of at the end of this activity. But, again, I want to keep going and keep and keep myself interested in what he's interested in, not the other way around, not where he's following my lead. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and move on. So do just as many pictures as you think he can tolerate. After you've done that several times and you feel like, okay, this child is really familiar with this book, this is when you really start the activity, when you start to say, where's that? dog or where's the choo-choo or shoe or whatever the picture is on that page. And again, if you're using a book that only has one picture per page, the child's got that 50% chance of being correct. So hopefully that will work in a child's favor. And if he doesn't start to point, he doesn't start to really even look at the right picture, do, just do what you can to gently guide him. Use his little hand. Take his little hand and help him do that. Or, uh, again, I have some children that I've noticed before 
that aren't developmentally or for whatever reason, they have some motor skill delays, they're not pointing, but when I really, really look at them, they are looking at the picture that I'm asking them. I, I worked with a nonverbal little guy last week, and we're working on some um, pictures of his family. And, again, he's an older child. He's about five. But developmentally, he's, he's right in this range, in this 12- to 15-month range. And so I'm asking him, where's Daddy? Where's uh, Grams? Where's Paps? And he did not reach out and touch the picture as I wanted, but every single time he looked at the correct picture. So be sure that you're not overlooking eye gaze, especially for a child who has some motor issues and maybe can't point. But for children who can, and if you feel like that that's not a big um, red flag that you should be watching for, for children for whom this skill is, um, expected, go ahead and work on that point because that's what we're really targeting here. And, again, it could be a whole hand touch, anything that will let you know he understands what I've asked him to do. So if a child is beyond this beginning level, you still want to target um, his or her receptive language skills. And so you might use a book with more pictures per page. And, again, I like those happy baby books. I have one that's focused on ABCs or the alphabet. And, again, if you're a listener of the show, you know that I will not target any kind of academic skill like letters and numbers and colors and shapes until a child's vocabulary and language skills are closer to an age-appropriate level. So I'll ignore the letters on the page, and I'm just asking the child if there's the picture of, Hey, things that start with A, and there's this apple and an alligator and, you know, whatever else is on there, three or four little pictures, I'm just asking, you know, where's the whatever and using the picture there. And, again, it's a little harder because there you have more choices there. So you'll want to be sure to bump children up when they're developmentally ready. Um, as a child becomes better with this activity, you can, again, challenge him with uh, a little harder book, and again, you might use a book with, uh, you know, there's a great book that I have that's called First 100 Words, or I have one that's called 101 First Words, and there are lots of pictures on a page, but a child needs to be able to do that eventually. We would never start with a book like that, but we certainly, again, for children who are developmentally ready, we want to keep their little systems challenged so that we're going to gradually bump them up and uh, keep going. Now, that kind of book, that book with more pages or more pictures per page, is really beneficial if you're working with groups of children and especially if you're working in homes where you have siblings who want to participate. <laughs> we're getting ready for all those brothers and sisters to go back to school that we've seen all summer long with their little friends. You know, who's happy when school starts? Most of the time it's the home their best <laughs> just going to get to work with the two-year-old uh, by himself. But anyway, sometimes we do have those siblings where we're really trying to incorporate them into sessions. And so that can be a great way to do it, to be sure that you're having uh, activities that you can adapt per developmental level of the children that you're working with. So for your little guy that you're just getting to receptively point to pictures, 
what can you do to not make a book like that too hard or too overwhelming? We'll simply cover some of the pictures. Now, sometimes I'll do that, you know, with my arm. I might have another a piece of paper there and so that when I'm asking the child that I'm working with, you know, where's the truck, I may cover all the pictures except for two or three. And then when I have big sister who's dying to participate with us, I'll pull the, my arm away or pull the piece of paper off and I'll ask her a question on her developmental level and give her lots more options. So, again, you're adapting the activity to what the child you're working with um, can do. Sometimes you can use your body for that. And we talked about on the show before how we're all going to have, <laughs> you know, horrible backs because we spend our days on the floor hunched over. But you might do that with a book too. And, again, you're covering the pictures or uh, if you're finding out that the book that you're using is is too difficult for a child, that would be a way to modify it without having to totally switch your activity. When you're using uh, working with siblings and you're trying to use the the same book, you might also instead of just asking, you know, where an object is um, receptively, you know, you've asked brother. Um, you know, where's the block? But for sister, older sister, there you might make it more complex, either use more difficult vocabulary, or you'll bump it up by asking a higher level language question. And again, we'll, we'll talk about some of those things in just a minute. Now, don't forget about this kind of practice, even with your children who are already talking. And we always want to make sure, sometimes as speech pathologists, once children start to talk, we just drive those expressive language goals home and we completely forget about receptive language. And then we'll figure out as we go, gosh, this child's just kind of stuck. He's not really progressing anymore. We've seen to have hit a plateau, and that nearly always is because we haven't paid enough attention to making sure those receptive language skills still keep pace. So you'll want to, again, keep bumping the kids up, and I'll, I'll give you some more ideas for that too. But let, let's take the more common problem, not that this activity is too uh, but it's not challenging enough, but let's say it's too hard. What if you're working for a child who absolutely refuses to point to pictures on request? Now, sometimes people get so caught up in the behavior piece where you're thinking, he just will not do this. He will not point to this picture that I say no matter what I do without really taking a step back and thinking, well, it's because he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the task, meaning you haven't modeled enough how to perform the physical movement of pointing, touching, or he doesn't really understand what the word means. So either way, whatever reason you attribute to this child not participating, it always means that you need to back up, that he's not developmentally ready. And I already told you that you could listen to that other show, show 199, to get some additional ideas. Another thing you can do when a child is not participating is just to make the activity more fun. And, you know, I always say, ratchet it up a notch. <laughs> and that's what you're here to. You're going to increase your own affect so that you are excited about looking at these pictures and you are excited about naming these things. So if you were reading or looking at a book together about animals, you would not just boringly label cow. There's cow. Cow says new. New is out. You're not going to do that. <laughs> You'll say cow. 
Ooh, look, cow, cow says moo, moo. And again, you really make sure that you are hooking that child's attention with your own excitement level and your own animation level and that heightened affect as we talk about. Another thing you can do is pick a book that you know the child will love. So if he's really a choo-choo kid, get a book about trains. Get a book about Thomas. If he loves his dog, his pet, find a book about dogs so that, again, you're more likely to entice him to want to participate. If a child has a favorite television show, find a book about that show. If you can't realistically find another book, make one yourself. The Internet has made our job so much easier than when I first became a therapist 20 years ago. We can Google image anything. So I've made lots of books for little friends that I thought, I'm not going to go buy a book. Just for this kid who is hooked on uh, maybe something that nobody else likes. Uh, a couple years ago, I made a lot of little homemade Veggie Tales books because I had a little guy who liked them. Now he had some Veggie Tales books, but he really used them in a self-stimulatory way. And by that I mean he just flipped through the pictures really, really quickly, rather than really attending to what was on the page. So we simplified it and made them some single-picture books that had those VeggieTales characters, and he started to do much better with that. Now, I have some, I've done a therapy tip of the week about that, about using homemade books, and that was from February 2012. And you can find all therapy tips of the week that I've, and, and those are short videos, If you and they're free. So if you've never watched any of those, oh, I just encourage you to do that. I get great positive feedback um, therapists around the world and moms all over who send me emails to say that seeing those examples and, and actually watching uh, me talk about it as opposed to just listening have really helped them uh, develop activities for the children that they're working with. So check that out and you can look um, at those videos or find those videos at teachmetotalk.com or my newer website, my M-Y-E-I, which stands for Early Intervention, M-Y-E-I-2, the number 2.com. So take it there. All right. Um, I'll also tell you that some children, if they are having real difficulty with pointing on requests in an activity like this, I'll go ahead and bump up to the next activity because for some children, this next matching activity is more concrete and it really helps them understand what I want them to do. So if you're in success, move on to this one. And this one is activity number six and it's matching objects to pictures. Now, this is probably my very favorite book activity and it's an activity that I use with nearly every child I see at some point in his or her treatment plan. Now, this activity is so great for a child who needs something more to do with the book than just look at the pictures, and it is a great step up from all the previous suggestions. And it is a really good beginner activity with books if I feel like a child, um, again, is not going to have the attention span or for a kid who doesn't necessarily love books. He's just 
it's a little higher developmentally than some of the other activities that we've talked about. It's a great activity for children who have receptive language delays too and who, again, need more of a hook or more of a reason to sit there with you with a book. And so many times our little kids don't like books because they don't understand the words. They don't understand that the symbol the picture then that's supposed to represent a real object. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to teach with this activity. And for this, you really will need to get yourself a book, a, pic, a picture book or a book of photographs. And then you'll want to find objects that match as closely as you can the picture in the book. Now, this strategy is a way to work play and for the book kids who only love to look at books, have you had kids like that whose play skills weren't that great? They loved books. And so this is a way to kind of backdoor the play piece so that we're introducing an object so that those kids understand, oh, my goodness, this picture is a symbol, and this represents this real-life thing right here in my home. Some kids have not made that connection. So super, super strategy for those kinds of kids, too. Uh, it's also a great way to get children who only want to hold the books themselves and never let you be a part of that activity. You know, those kids, the hoarder kids, <laughs> the kids who are going to grip that book for dear life, and they just get stinking mad when you try to participate with them with the book. And you even want to, you know, you have the audacity to want to hold the book. <laughs> This is a great way to kind of break that habit with those kids because you'll let them hold the object that you're matching and then you maintain control of the book. For this activity, get yourself a great book, match the object, gather as many objects as you can to match to the pictures. And sometimes you have to pay really close attention to that so that if there's a, a picture of a bird in the book that's blue, you need to find a plastic blue bird. You know, you're not going to be able to use a yellow bird or an orange bird or something like that. You need to make it match as closely as possible. Now, because this is one of my standard therapy activities, I have grouped, I have a couple of different books used for this, and I have grouped those objects, and I keep them in one giant Ziploc bag always have these things together and they're ready to go when I need them. My favorite books for these activities are those Roger Pretty books and I've already said them even today. They're the Happy Baby books and I, again I've used um, those couple of books and then the matching objects for years now and I love that I took the time several years ago to set this activity up because this it's done. I have no more prep time for this activity. It's all assembled. So just taking that extra time to get that activity set up can be so beneficial for you for years and years and years to come. And for one of my books that I use this with, I just have one object per page for a child to match. So um, it's a color book. So the premise of the book is like all the pictures on the page will be yellow. And so there's a banana, there's a chicken, there's a duck, um, and there's one more thing. I think it's a lemon. And so I don't necessarily have all four things there. I'm just wanting the child to match one of those. So I'll just have the banana or the duck. And why would you want to do that? It's to keep the activity moving pretty 
fast. So if you're having a child match four different objects on every page, that's just going to be too much for lots of our little friends. So that's one trick um, that I've learned. And what you're going to want to do is set out a few of the objects for the yellow page. You might set out the duck, and then you might set out, you know, the apple that's coming up on the page for all the red things. And then you might set out, again, the bird for the blue page. And so you'll have those two or three little objects there, and then you'll point to the picture in the book. You'll point to the banana, and you'll say, oh, look, banana. You have a banana. What is it? Where's banana? You find it. So you're going to want to, want to let the child pick the object that you say. And again, don't overwhelm the child. Don't put out all of your, you know, seven or fifteen objects that you've gathered for that book. Don't put them all out at once. Just do two or three, so that you can really keep the child's attention. Now, another tip here is to have a container. I like to use a little plastic bucket, like a little. You could use a Halloween bucket. You could use just a little holiday bucket, and you can pick those up for super cheap. You know, you could even find a little, maybe a sand bucket on clearance this time of year, and you would do that so the child has a place to put the object when he's finished, after he's picked it, after he's matched it. Now, why would you do that? It's to keep the child on target so that he doesn't just take the object and go away from you and go play with it. You know, you want to keep this activity moving pretty fast, so after he's selected his first item that you've asked for, you know, you've said, oh, look, here's banana. Where's your banana? Find it. Get it. Get it. Oh, there's the banana. Yes, banana, banana. It's our match. And then you're going to model putting the banana in the bucket. Now, if you have to take it away from the kid, just get right back into the activity by flipping the next page and getting your next set of objects ready. And again, keep yourself excited and keep it really kind of fast-paced and up and energetic so that a child gets excited and wants to move on, too. And so um, you don't just let the child sit and take the object and play with it, you know, for 10 minutes while you're waiting on that next page. You you keep it going uh, pretty fast. And keep your tone up. And, again, you're going to really do lots of pointing and lots of gesturing so that you can help a child to move those kinds of cues. And be sure that you're using lots and lots of praise uh, and providing those additional cues when the child isn't exactly completing the task. I also have the child turn the page in this activity if it seems to keep him or her on track with looking at the pictures and matching objects rather than stopping to play with the individual object. And again, I like it. I love this activity because it's not solely dependent on the book. The super way to teach matching, which is an important cognitive skill, and it's a great way to help children develop that symbolic thought piece, meaning that they understand the picture is supposed to represent that real object. And kids don't naturally get that without some teaching. So super, super activity. And this one way of integrating those real objects with the book has been hands down the very most successful strategy I have ever used to help a child learn to identify pictures and to participate with books when he or she has really shown little interest or when they struggled with that skill in the past. If you're the kind of person who says, okay, all these activities are great, I just need one takeaway activity from this show. This is it. <laughs> this is it, moms and dads are Therapists, professionals, this is it. So go right now and figure out which 
book of pictures you're going to do this with. Gather your objects, dig through your toys, find those matches, and put this set together. If you have to go get some new things, go to the Dollar Tree, go to the Dollar Section at Target, go to Walmart, go anywhere with cheap toys, have your book with you or have your list, <coughs> excuse me, and put together this activity. You prep for it one time and you have the activity forever. So again, super, super activity. Let's move on. Activity number seven. This is what we were talking about just a second ago, and it's uh, targeting higher-level receptive language goals with books. Now, in reality, some children are not going to be ready for this yet. You're going to skip ahead, but I like to keep these organized, and this is kind of the receptive language portion of the Making Books Better um, Therapy Guide. And so I put this activity in there, but remember, you will probably have to skip this step and then revisit it for a child when he or she is developmentally ready, but I did want to put it with the other receptive language activities. I also use this place as a starting point for books with children that I see who only have um, maybe expressive language goals identified, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out where are they really receptively? Have we made receptive language progress? since I tested this child four or five months ago. This is also a great step for children who seem to have pretty good receptive language skills and daily activities, but you just know in your heart of hearts that something's missing. And again, it may be a child that, that who's plateaued with expressive language development. You know, he has a handful of core words, and you're just really not seeing tons of progress and you're just trying to put your finger on what else could be going on. And a lot of times I'll see this with kids that I suspect are going to have auditory processing problems down the road. Or my little friends who are higher functioning on the autism spectrum. This may be where we start with books. And so again, it's a super way to detect vocabulary gaps specifically receptive language vocabulary gaps. And, and this is a way, too, for me to probe and for me to isolate what I need to work on next. And so I might do this with the book, again, just to kind of gather some information. So for this activity, we're going to use books for teaching the following receptive language skills. It might be new nouns. And why would we want to teach new nouns or figure out what a kid knows? Well, that's for vocabulary expansion. And, again, it would be for a child who maybe has a core set of words, but he's not really seeming to learn anything new. And, and why would we press this receptive piece first? Because kids have to understand words before they're ever able to say words. And I know that's the second time I've used that statement at this show, <laughs> but it is imperative that you understand that. So, again, it's just probing for what they really, really understand versus what they're really using. It's also a way to, to uh, determine uh, verbs, new verbs, new action words, and, again, new descriptive words, new prepositions, new pronouns. So, again, we might use these activities to target specific vocabulary weaknesses with a child. And it really, uh, again, for children who seem to be stuck with that core vocabulary or especially for children who seem to really hang on to those generic words like this or that or more or that one or any kind of overgeneralized word where it's 
father's, you know, thank goodness, is compensating for his language delays, and he's really learned, you know, give me this one or that one or those kinds of little little um, words or phrases that they might use. But you think, gosh, the real problem is he doesn't really understand or know enough words. So you would use these books, again, as a probe so that you can figure out where that vocabulary um, gap might be. Now, in a project like this, it is so hard for me to give you specific books, specific book titles, because that just will vary per individual child and for each goal that you're working on. So what you'll probably need to do is look for books that um, follow a child's specific interests and preferences so that you can get him initially hooked. You might use Google for um, a situation like this, or Pinterest, where you might really search something like recommended books to teach verbs or pronouns or something like that so that you can get some maybe newer resources that you don't have. My only caution would be that you're picking books that are developmentally appropriate for young children, and usually that, for a lot of, a lot of kids, that's going to mean that you're not really ready to use those storybooks yet. Or if they are stories that you're really supposed to read, but again, the language is, is pretty simplified. Now, beyond that general vocabulary expansion that we just talked about, we're going to also look at receptive language goals like understanding object functions, understanding plurals and possessives, learning to identify parts of an object, understanding negation, learning early quantity words like a one or some or all or rest. And again, sometimes we never get there with our kids in early intervention. These, for us, those kinds of goals are higher level. But for some of our kids, again, this is exactly what we need to be working on receptively when they're stalled with their expressive language development. And again, I hope that you've I hope I've talked about that in a way that makes sense to you. <laughs> and if you've never thought about that like uh, like that before, if you've never thought the reason that my child is not making more progress expressively is because there's an underlying receptive language component, teasing out these higher-level receptive issues will make a huge, huge difference for you. And then teaching what the child doesn't know <laughs> will eventually help them get over that plateau with expressive language, but you've got to teach it receptively first. Now, as speech pathologists, we often test kids with pictures, and that is fine. And again, I've been talking about using this as a probing activity. But please let me just caution you not to use pictures as a way to exclusively teach a new concept or a new word class. I mean, you please, I beg you. <laughs> Don't just rely on pictures for teaching verbs. Toddlers learn by doing, and there's no better way to teach actions or verbs than by doing it. So put away the little flashcard set for verbs <laughs> after you, <coughs> excuse me, initially, oh, excuse me, I'm so sorry. After you've initially used it to probe, put those cards away or use it kind of as a follow-up activity but get yourself some toys and some realized activities so that you are using pictures just as your supplemental way to teach these new concepts, not your primary focus or methodology. So let's take an example. Let's say you, you're, the child that you're working with needs to sound. 
So you were thinking about announce or naming words, and I think back to your English classes, if that's kind of a term you haven't thought about in a long time. And again, your primary goal here is vocabulary expansion. So we're really going to make sure this child understands these words first. So we may use a book to help us teach a theme or a category. And you may say, well, I know that my child really likes trucks, but he calls everything a truck. You know, maybe we could use book to teach fire truck and garbage truck and bulldozer and some or and truck and some of those additional words uh, and make sure that a child really understands those things. Again, that would make a lot of sense for a little boy who loves trucks because he's already into that. That's his preference. <laughs> so you want to be sure that you are using that book to generate some new vocabulary options for that child. And again, you're going to have to come up with some play activities to teach those new words too. So you may be digging through the toy supply to make sure that you have a tractor and a bulldozer and a fire truck and a garbage truck and, and introducing those objects in real life in addition to the book that you're using too. All right, let's say that you have a child who really needs to learn some new verbs. And let's say that he already says some really simple verbs. He already uses some action words like go and eat and drink and open. But he doesn't really have more verbs than that. And that happens a lot with our new talkers. You know, we'll, we'll think they're, we think, gosh, he's really moving along, and then we'll kind of keep a language sample for a few days, and we might realize, oh, my goodness, he has 45 nouns but two verbs. And he really needs some additional action words to be able to expand that vocabulary to get him ready to use some phrases. So we'll have to teach those words receptively first. The same thing with new descriptive words. And descriptive words mean our adjectives and our adverbs, words that that describe, that that uh, give more information, words that specify. So we'll have to, again, look at those sort of words too, or even prepositions. We might figure out, gosh, my child knows up and down, but he doesn't really understand in and out and on and off. And we may use some books to <laughs> probe that or figure that out, but really we need to back it up into real life for actually teaching um, those concepts. Another thing I like to do is use books that a child already likes that we may have already used in a previous um activity, but this time we're going to change the focus, change our purpose. And so before we might have been looking at just um, eliciting imitation, that motor imitation part. Remember we talked about that back on the previous show. Or we might have been using a book to just get him to participate with or learn to point. But now we may use that same book to target this higher level receptive language. So again, what do we do with this? Like let's take for instance that little fruit book that we talked about before. It's called it's a, an Elmo book and it's called Shake a Leg. And remember we talked about we were going to use that book to get some motor imitation going. And we might even use it with the whole classroom of preschool children or toddlers. And we were modeling the verb or the action word as we were pointing to the book. Well, now to bump it up a little, we're not going to give the child the model anymore. So what does that mean? That means you're not going to shake your leg. <laughs> you're just going to say, show me how to shake. And again, you're using the book there as your visual cue, but you're not doing it so that you're going to know, okay, the child has the cue there by looking at the picture. He isn't able to make that next little jump up developmentally. 
so that he's really understanding what that word means um, and is able to perform that um, action himself. So again, pull out the books that you've used that children have liked in the past. You can even do that with the baby books. Remember the baby books that we talked about way back in activity number one when we were saying, when, you know, we were just getting a child to pat the baby or kiss the baby? You might use those same baby books and now bump it up and ask something like, you know, which baby is coming? Show me the baby who's sleeping. And again, a higher level skill. The child has to understand and process those action words. So pull those, those things um, back out. Um, object functions are a huge receptive language skill that I work on with books all the time. And so, again, what are some examples of object functions? That would be taking the previous book that we talked about with shoes. And that would, you know, the child might have a picture of shoes on one side and an airplane on the other side. And you would say, which one goes on your feet? And you're going to want the child to point to shoes. Or which one flies in the sky? And he would point to the airplane. So, again, you can use those same books, but you're, you're increasing the demands on the child and helping him move beyond at um, easier little level. Uh, and if a child doesn't understand this kind of thing when you're trying to bump him up, what, what does that tell you? It tells you you better back it on up. He is not ready for this. And remember, again, I'm going to say it one more time, we teach by doing. So if you were looking at a book with babies and you were asking the, the child you're working with which baby's eating, which baby is taking a bath, or which baby is washing, which baby is uh, sleeping, if the child doesn't understand that, you need to get the baby dolls out and really model those kinds of things as you're looking at the pictures and you're really, really using that as an opportunity to teach. One way that I use books in, in this kind of activity is for teaching or and assessing if the child understands negation. What is negation? It means using a no or a not. So we would ask with a picture of babies, which baby is not crying? Or if a child doesn't understand that kind of thing, I may start with just kind of the noun version of this question. Which one is not Elmo? And this is a huge, huge, huge concept for so many of our children with language delays to understand and they need so much practice and so much help learning uh, to understand uh, this important concept. So another way that you might do this is take a book with animals and you would say, you know, is this a dog? You know, when you're pointing to a picture of a cat and you would say, no, not a dog, it's a cat. And again, you're giving that Additional explanation, but um, practice practice is key here. And if you're finding that it's so hard with pictures, again, back it on up and use it with uh, real objects first. Now, pictures, so many times we as speech pathologists get really hooked on just using pictures with therapy because it's efficient. And you think, I can cover so much more ground if just looking at pictures versus getting out all those darn toys. But again, children have to learn things in real life before they learn them symbolically. And that's what pictures are. So you do need to spend some time backing up and teaching uh, with real life activities too. Now, using books can be, and using pictures are a fine way to assess anything. But be sure that you're using them 
as a supplemental or an additional teaching method rather than the only thing you're doing. All right, activity number eight. I cannot believe we did not get finished with all 10 activities today, but if you're a long-time listener of the show, you know that I hardly ever finish any topic like I think I'm going to in one hour. That's just, hmm, just my nature, I guess. All right, let's move on and talk really quickly about number eight. Activity number eight is using books to build play skills and receptive language. And again, we're taking, again, it, this seems like a step back developmentally, but I already told you I wanted to <laughs> keep all the receptive strategies together. And this would be a play strategy. And so some of the things that you've already, that we've talked about in the last couple of activities, you're not going to go backwards. So this might be an activity that you introduced before, certainly before you do those higher level receptive language activities that we just talked about in number seven. So this next activity is using those books and incorporating books um, with a child who may not be as great um, with his play skills yet. And so it's also a way to target early expressive language teaching as we're using the books in play. So we're going to do this by incorporating the book either as the beginning activity of our therapy session with a child who loves books and who we can't get a lot of play stuff going yet, but he loves books. So we're going to use the book as kind of our way to bridge to play, and we can also do the opposite. We can use play and then bridge that back to books. And, again, it just depends on a child's individual strengths and weaknesses as to which way or what order you would uh, present the activity. So that may be a little hard to understand, but let me just give you some examples, and I bet that you can relate this to a child that you've known before. So let's say that we have a kid who loves books. So we might take a new book because he likes that and introduce the book and read the book together, and then... We're going to use that book, as I said, as a bridge to play and move on to play with the toy or the kind of toy that was in the book. And, again, this is a great way to build play skills for children who aren't so great with that yet and who don't really seem to know how to play with toys or what to do. And I, I worked with a little guy who was like this, and I've had several children who love the Llama Llama books. Have you heard of those, the Llama Llama Red Pajama and Llama Llama Goes Goodnight or several little books in this series. So let's take, for example, the llama is playing with several different toys in the book. What would we do? We would gather the toys, read the book, and then we're going to have the book there, and then we will play with the toys just as the llama has done in the book. Or let's say it's a daily routine kind of thing. Let's say the llama's brushing his teeth. What do we do? We would brush our teeth. (laughs) Or really, I'm not really brushing my teeth in the therapy session, but I would have the child do that or have the toothbrush there so that, again, we're making that connection between what the child likes with the picture in the book and the real-life activity. Or let's say the one that is pretending it is sleeping in the book. What would we do? I would have a little blanket and pillow there, and we would pretend to sleep. So, again, that's become our bridge to maybe a nice social game so can you see how that would help a kid who's just been a book kid? <laughs> Even maybe a kid who's just primarily used the book as that self-stimulatory activity, you're going to help him learn to become, um, you know, more engrossed in real life and 
functionally using those objects that he seems to really like only as a picture. So it's a great way uh, to do that. Again, you're not really at this point going to be creating huge new play scenarios or anything, anything that's probably new for a child. He already brushes his teeth. He already takes a bath. He already goes to sleep. We're just making that book come to life and showing a child um, how real that is. Now, some of you may be thinking, oh, I don't have a llama toy, so I can't use that book. Yes, you can. You could get a bunny or a bear or anything that's close as a similar stand-in there. Now, as a speech-language pathologist, you might be thinking, I will never teach the word llama. That is not a functional word. But if a child already likes that book or he's already in the book, then you really need <coughs> excuse me, a functional activity. I'm just suggesting that as an example. You can use any number of books. And, again, that's going to be based on the child's preferences and not your own. So if I like books, I mean, like trucks, you're going to pick a book about trucks and do that sort of thing. What would you do with the trucks? Well, you might get yourself a little sensory box with sand or some dirt and really act out those things that you see the truck um, doing in the book. You know, it could be something about farm animals or a TV show or anything like that. Um, and so you're taking, again, what the child is doing in the book, and you're making it more functional. And, again, I cannot believe that we only got through half of what I thought we would do today. We're in the middle of Activity 8. It is the end of our hour show. I'm not going to extend it because I know those of you who use this show as your exercise are, are dying now and really need to get off that treadmill. So we are going to call it a day on this. It will actually, in a couple of weeks, have Making Books Better, Part 3, and we'll finish up with these activities. Now, I would love to hear your feedback about using books with kids and send me your own creative ideas if I haven't mentioned those. And, again, I just love hearing from you. And that's all for this week. Thanks so much. Join me next week. Bye-bye.